So don't play with snakes. Don't play with sin. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I do want to thank the pastoral staff for uh, uh, solving last week's problem that I caused. Uh, I am sorry for any inconvenience. Uh, woke up that morning sick, very sick, and uh, let them know around 8 o'clock. Both Gary and Jonathan said that's a little late notice to put a sermon together. So uh, anyway, uh, we hope last week still met the need that you may have had when you came in here. All right, we're going to continue the series, Royal Invitation, and today we're looking at the subject matter of living above sin. Now, to live above sin, we must understand what sin is. I think most of us in this room are fully aware what sin is, uh, because many of us have experienced it personally. Many of us have been led on the path of temptation, which actually led to the sin that many of us have committed. Uh, but then it didn't end there. Many times the, con uh, the consequences followed the sin uh, that, that we uh, gave into. And I think many of us can relate to that. But it's important for us to understand biblically what sin really is. The Bible describes sin in four ways. It calls it lawlessness, trespass, iniquity, transgression. Many would say that the Bible would say this about sin. It is rebellion against God and his truth. It is the rejection of God's ways. Many of us know this. It is the missing of the mark. It is the violation of God's will. It is moral depravity. It is the pollution of the soul. It is a joy and peace killer. It can be life reckoning. It, instead of satisfaction, it brings misery. Instead of freedom, it brings slavery. The preachers of old have said this about sin. It always costs you more than you want to pay, and it always takes you further than you ever want to go. And y'all, all that are descriptions that we see in sin, whether by sermon, by scripture, or however it's played out. Sin is very dangerous when we get to the point in which we feel like we can play with it, when we feel like we can negotiate it with it or rationalize it. It's very dangerous. So look at the introduction on your outline. In Romans chapter 6, it seems to indicate that we either live under the, under the banner of grace or sin. By living under the banner of grace means we are living above sin, thereby meaning we are no longer slaves to sin. Now, let me remind you of subject, the subject matter we discussed two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we looked at the idea of living under grace. So I want you to think about your life. Once we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are placed under grace, under grace, okay? That's what is above us. That's what shields us. That's what protects us. That's what's been given to us. As a result of us moving up and living under grace, we now live above sin, or at least that should be the testimony of our lives. Now, let me show you some options as it relates to how we can live. Now, look here. Look at the first one there. Option number one, live in sin. If we live in sin, we are under death. It really, it's the whole idea of the path to destruction or the path to death. Now, to fully understand what we're about to read here in Romans chapter 6, we need to understand that Paul is talking to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers, okay? Believers who have accepted Jesus Christ on the terms God has set forth through the provision of Jesus Christ, our great, uh, his grace touching our faith. And so therefore, in Romans chapter six, I want you to look at verse 15. Paul is basically answering questions that people may have on their minds. And he says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? 
So basically, Paul seemed to be addressing what he was sensing from the church there. And there were those who were basically saying, okay, we've been told we're not under the law anymore. We don't have to get so caught up in the thou shalt not do's and thou shalt do's. And so therefore, maybe we can just live like we want to. We're all under God's grace. You know what Paul's reaction was? Certainly not. There's never, Paul is saying here, when he says certainly not, he's basically saying there's never any justification to sin. Sin will never lead you to God's best. And then he goes on to verse 16. He says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death. And then we're going to see the other option in just a moment. But I want to back up here and look at the first part of 16. When it says present yourselves, it's talking about a willing choice. You have a choice to make. What will you present yourself to? Now, the whole language of the idea of presenting yourself is the language uh, that we find in the Old Testament, like I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. It's the idea of what you're going to bring to before God. So what would happen in the Old Testament? You would bring your sacrifice. It would be presented to the priest. And the priest would see, is it worthy to present to God himself? And so that's the language here. It's the language of what are we bringing to the altar? And he is basically saying that we need to understand that we are going to be a slave to something. We all are. There's so many, you know why we're slaves to something? It's because very little things in our lives that we can truly control. Do you realize that? Very few things in our lives that we can control. And so many times we, we walk out of here and walk around like we, 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 we control our destination. We do this. We do. There's so little out of our control. And so therefore, we need to understand in the, in the frailty of this body, in a fallen world, in a, in, a, in a world that is far from God, we need to understand that we're going to be a slave to something because so many things are out of our control. And what will it be? Will we, will be, will we be a slave to sin or, we'll, or we have the other option in which we're getting ready to be presented. So he's basically saying, what are you bringing to the table? So option one is live in sin. That's a path of death and destruction. Option two, live above sin. And how do you do that? Under grace, in obedience and righteousness. So look at verse 16 again. He says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? Which one are you going to choose? You are that one slave whom you obey. So if you're obeying living in sin, you're, you're a slave to that. If you're uh, in, uh, option two, if you're going to live above sin, you're a slave to that. So he says, look what he says. You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, option one, option two, or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now, let me, let me say this. A person's pattern of life proves who his or her master is. Have you ever thought about that? Either of sin or of righteousness. Option one, living in sin. Sin, let me just tell you this about sin. Sin always demands more. Always demands more. You will never have satisfaction trying to sin. You say, I don't know about that. I mean, I have experienced sin. My flesh reached out to something. I'm just going to tell you there was satisfaction in that. It never stops there it moves on to something else. Because guess what? That will leave us unfulfilled at some point. One of the best ones, book to read in the Bible, and I've told you this many times, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes written, is, was written by the man who was uh, the wisest man who ever lived, according to Scripture. He was, he, in his day, he, 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 he had everything the world could offer. I'm talking everything. 
And Solomon writes about all these things he experienced. He writes about the sin in which he delved into. And, and you know what he came away saying? It always demands more. I never, no, I was never satisfied in any of it. It always led to more. And that's the whole idea. Living in sins, it, it, it will not be satisfied until it has us in complete bondage and destruction. And some of you are sitting here today and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that sin that's got you in bondage and you're sitting there and, and, and there's a part of you that know, you know it needs to go in your life. But for some reason, you'll sit in a sermon like this and you'll hear it and you're like, you're right, preacher. I, it's just got to go. And you'll fall right back into it. There's so much more God has for us. If we can just put what he offers, if we can put what he offers in motion, and I'm going to show you what Paul's talking about here in just a moment. Option two, living above sin, a life of righteousness. And by the way, a life of righteousness produces joy and peace. You ever been around people that, that just, they, they just elude, elude, uh, uh, joy and peace? You ever been around them? They make you sick, don't they? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's the goal. That's where we want to be. I know several people in my life that God's placed in my life, and they exude that, and, and it's very obvious. I mean, storms come into their life, and I'm sitting there, how in the world are you dealing with this one? And they walk out of there and say, isn't God great? How can you say that? Look at what you're dealing with, joy and peace. The, the revolution, look here. You have the options and then the revolution. How do we move from being a slave of sin? How do, how do we move beyond that? Let me just say this, that I believe personally that all people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, not living under grace, I believe they are in bondage to sin. Now, you may say, well, what sin are they in bondage to? Is it some addiction? Is it this? Is it that? Is it, is it, is it lust? Is it, what is it? Well, let me just tell you this. I, I don't know that it specifically has to be anything other than the fact that they're in so much bondage, they can't see what God is offering. And you see, it could be nothing more than that that they're in bondage to what they want to hold on to. They're in bondage to their pride and what they want to. They would never imagine turning their life over to someone else. And so the whole idea is how do we move from that? So look at verse 17. He says, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, that you, you were in sin, that's your past reality. Again, he's talking to believers. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that form of teaching to which you were delivered. And so basically he's saying in verse 17, if you come to know Christ, there's a point in your life where you've been delivered from the power of sin, the slavery of sin, the enslavement of sin. Paul describes this best in Ephesians chapter two. Look here on the screen. It says, and you, he made alive who were dead. Before you came to Christ, you were dead in your sins, according to scripture. And it says you were enslaved. You were enslaved in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked you once walked according to the course of this world. Now think about that phrase, according to the course of this world. When you run a race, what's laid before you is a course that's been predetermined. If you're going to win the race, if you're going to have, be participating in a race, you're going to run the course that's laid out before you. Now, I remember years ago, I, was, <laughs> I ran in the Jingle Bell Run. You ever heard of the Jingle Bell Run in Kings Mountain? So I go in there, and I'm, I'm taking on the 10K. There's a 5K and a 10K. We all start at the same time. And so we start out the gate, and we start moving through and everything. And, and all of a sudden, there came a point where the 5Kers are going to break off from the 10Kers. Well, I'm a 10Ker in that race. And so I go as hard as I can. Well, I break off. I'm following these guys. I mean, they, they got the 
perfect form. They got the right clothes on. I'm like, these are the guys I'm following. And so anyway, they just kind of make the turn and they go on. I wasn't paying attention to the signs. I was just watching what they do. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm now, unbeknowing to me, on the 5K route, the 5K course. So all of a sudden, I see it. Then I catch a sign, and I see it, and I break off from them, and I'm just tearing down through there, and I'm going. There's a lady out in her neighborhood. She's aware of the race that's going on. She's like, I think you're in the lead. Keep going. Keep going. I'm like, in the lead? I keep going. I make my way down. I make a turn, and there's a police car sitting right there. And the police car's intention is to lead the winner of the race across the finish line. Now, I haven't seen anybody for the last five minutes. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know I'm not leading this race. So that police car all of a sudden sees me. His lights come on. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's not me. I'm not the winner. I'm not. <laughs> I start yelling down there, but I got off course. The predetermined course that was for me, I got off course. Let me just tell you this about the world. It has a course for you. It does. And the enemy many times is laying the course and he wants the influence in your life and he's the one calling the shots. And, and guess what? There's a lot of other people on the course too. And many times we follow them. We may get off course, but sometimes we know it and sometimes we don't. But he's talking about according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. It's almost like there was something that was overpowering us in our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. You see, this is a perfect description of our past if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we're moving from this condition, our past reality, into a present reality. And, and that's what he's trying to show us. So look at the revolution from a, from a slave of sin to a slave of righteousness. A slave, when you think about it, relies heavily on the influence of his master over him and what is expected of him. So look at verse 18. It says, and having been set free from sin... That master, you became slaves of righteousness. The revolution that took place in your heart was one in which you were in the bondages of sin and now you're choosing a willing choice to present yourself on a sacrifice, on an altar of righteousness. And you're basically saying, no, this is where I need to go. This is where God is leading and he's showing us this. So Paul in chapter six is building his conversation to a deeper understanding of our lives before Christ and now our life after Christ and how he's become our savior. So what I want you to do is look at Romans chapter six, go back to verse five. Here's where he's building from. Look at verse five. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, now, again, what is this? It's us responding to his grace by faith. As a result of this, we've repented of our sins. We're making our confession in him. But here's something else. As a result of that, we're identifying and in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's our new identification, okay? It's us presenting ourselves to this. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him the one who was enslaved to sin, the one that was powerless against sin. Guess what? It's changed. Something's changing. Here's what he says, that the body of sin might be done away with. That's our past reality, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's our present reality. Now, another picture of this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
those who come to Christ on God's terms. If that's the case, he is a new creation. That means he identifies with Christ. Old things have passed away. The, the fact we were living in sin and its influence, behold, now all things have become new. We are now, the reality of our lives is we're living above sin under grace. That is a big deal. And that should describe our lives today now that we know Christ. But then there's the examination. We need to, if we're gonna live in such a way that, that Paul says here in these verses, if we're gonna live in such a way, we need to exam, examine our situation. And first of all, we see there the limitations of the flesh. The limitations of the flesh. How many of you are aware that your flesh is very limited in doing good? Very limited. Look at Romans 6, 19. Paul said, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. The weakness of your flesh. In our flesh, let me just tell you what happens. In our flesh, if we operate in the flesh, how many of you found that we have a tendency to move towards sin? Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it amazing how we just kind of automatically go there? Two-year-old, we've talked about this many times. They always operate in the flesh. Always moving towards rebellion. I said, no, no. Jonathan Crystal, so afraid I'm going to use the story when they're kids. I'm not this time. Okay, but anyway, Paul writes in Romans chapter seven, and here's what he says. For I know, this is Paul, this is a, his own confession. Present day, listen to what he says. For this I know, that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. This is a man who was talking after his conversion. This is a man who's talking after the revolution that took place in his life where he went from being a slave to sin, now living above sin. Now he is acknowledging, hey, I can't please God. I can't get what God's best is for me in this flesh. But yet what? We still live in this flesh, don't we? So he's talking about this dilemma. Now, we are told to offer our bodies of flesh as a sacrifice to God by crucifying the flesh. So how do I operate? I have the flesh. It's here. The flesh will be here until I die. Did you know that? I will be under some type of influence of the flesh until I die. There will always be a war with the flesh. What he says, and I've told you this many times, but you got to get it. It's, this is the part I got to get to. You can't negotiate with the flesh. You don't negotiate with it. You don't rationalize what is put before it. You don't try to say, but this, understand. Now, what does it say to do? Kill it. You got to kill it. That old snake that showed up on that hill that day for that gentleman there. You know what he should have done? He should have cut the conversation off immediately and took the head off the snake. That's the way we're called to live when it comes to dealing with this flesh. Because this flesh, I'll be honest with you, it's nastier than a rattlesnake. And it has potential to do awful things. And we know that. So, 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, our reality right now currently is that we are in the flesh. There's a flesh nature to us. Though we walk in that, though our lives seize that, we do not war according to the flesh. I can't conquer the flesh by messing with the flesh. I have to kill the flesh. But you know what's ironic about the flesh? As soon as I kill it, guess what it does? It comes right back. 
When you look at the whole idea of crucifying the flesh, it's not, it's not, uh, there's no, the verbiage there is not finality in the one-time deal. It's something you constantly have to do. How many of you notice that about life? Got to constantly do it. Next, examination. We're limit, there's limitations of the flesh. Second of all, recognition of the former. Here's what you need to understand when it comes to living the life God's called you to do, to live above sin. You got to realize what was going on in you before you came to Christ. Because the same, listen, just because you've come to Christ doesn't mean the enemy's leaving you alone. You know that, right? Even though the Bible says the Holy Spirit now indwells us, even though the Bible says that we're marked as a child of God, even though our inheritance awaits us, even though we're here, we're going to be living for eternity, does not mean that the enemy is saying, whoops, better leave him alone. Sometimes the battle's even tougher. Now, let me, let me tell you what's going on here. My former life, the way the enemy operated then is the same way he operates after Christ when you come to know him. The thing is now you've got power to overcoming, not in of yourselves, but what's available to you. So let's look at it. Your life before Christ was hopeless in winning the battle over sin. So look at Romans chapter six, look at the second part of verse 19. For just as you presented, you offered your members, your flesh interacting with the things of this world as slaves of uncleanness or impurity, that's your inward sin and lawlessness, that's your outward sin leading to more lawlessness. He's describing your old reality, but now you have a new reality. Look here on your outline, the expectation of the future. So I need to be aware of how the enemy dealt with me in the past because guess what? He's still coming at me that way. I need to know how to, to, to chop the head off. <laughs> but then he says, how about the expectation of the future? So look at Romans 6, same place at verse 19. For just as you presented your members as a slave of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now... Everything, the terms have changed. Everything's changed. So now present your members. This is the way your flesh interacts with those things of sin. As slaves of righteousness for holiness. Let this be your present reality. So live in the new reality that Christ has provided for you. Okay? Next, the compensation. The compensation. The word compensation is just means uh, what you earn. Wages. Okay? Now, if we continue to live as a slave to sin, look on your outline, it produces a depleted life, a depleted life. Romans 6, look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What this is saying, Paul is basically saying you were oblivious to what God expected. You, you were oblivious to, to really do right for, for right purposes. You see, there's a lot of good people out there doing good things who don't know Christ, but they're not aware of the righteousness of Christ. For us to understand what's been provided for us, his grace, when it's extended to us, must, we must act in faith towards it. There's your repentance, there's your confession, there's your identification in him. What he is saying here is that there was no connection to righteousness and the, even the influence of the Holy Spirit before we came to Christ. Now we have that now. We're aware of the righteousness of Christ. We're aware of what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in our lives because there's something that lives within us. Now, we're not just ruled by sin. Now, when we're ruled by sin, there's no hope for true purpose. We're just left with the thought, is this all there is? I can't tell you how many times I hear people say something like that. 
Is this really all there is? I mean, we're going to live. We're going to do all these things, and then we're going to die. Surely there's got to be more than this. Y'all, based on the authority of God's word, there is. But the key is we got to walk out from under the deception of living in sin to see it. And so many people are so comfortable living in sin. And, and, and listen, if we're ruled by sin, there's no security. There's no true, true joy and peace. There's just a disconnect from the one who created you. That leads to a depleted life. Jesus once said this. Here's what he said. I am the vine, you are the branches. He, he's saying, if there's a connection with us between me and you, he who abides in me and I in him, you're going to bear much fruit. There's going to be purpose. There's going to be good things that will come of your life. And then he says this, for without me, you can't do anything. If there's no connection, you can't do anything. Next, sin not only produces a depleted life, but also a dysfunctional life. Now, I hate to bust your bubble on how you may think of yourself. You're very dysfunctional. Some of you are sitting there nodding your head up and know that, yeah. You're living with someone who's dysfunctional. Y'all scared to shake your head, aren't you? <laughs> you gave birth to dysfunction. <laughs> you came from dysfunction. Everything about us, everything around us is dysfunctional. We live in a dysfunctional world. Some would call it a fallen world, but it's very dysfunctional. Let me show you what we're talking about here. Look at Romans 6, verse 21. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? He's saying, what did your life produce before you came to Christ? You're ashamed of those things, hopefully, now. For the end of those things is death. If you go do a careful study of what Paul is trying to say here, he's speaking of a person's dysfunction. Their dysfunction and how they operate. Dysfunction always produces bad fruit. Whether you're talking about addictions, lust, wrong perceptions, our pain and suffering, dysfunction produces all that. Now, let, let, let's look at what he says in Ephesians 4 about that. Look what he says. There, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. Now, when he says Gentiles in this context, it means unbelievers. In the futility of their mind, they're going nowhere. There's no purpose. There's nothing there. They're the one walking around saying, is this all there is? Having their understanding darkened, they don't get it. They don't have wisdom. How many of you look at the news today and even look at some world leaders and sit there and just scratch your head and say, how did they come to this conclusion? How did they have this perception? It's because their understanding has been darkened. This world does that. Dysfunction does that. And then it says being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Y'all, this is exactly where you were before you came to know Christ. This is your condition this is the amount of dysfunction that was in you. And it's all there. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. My question to you is this. You know the dysfunction's there. What are you doing about it? Are you, are you, are you, are you when the flesh act, acts up, are you crucifying it? Are you sitting there saying, well, that's just the way I am? That's what dysfunction says. Did you know that? Dysfunction says, that's just the way I am. 
Dysfunction says in in a very unhealthy way, well, that's the way my parents raised me. I couldn't help but be this way. You know what you're doing? You're totally undermining what God desires to do in your life. You're making excuses. Listen, here's the one thing, and I've had a conversation with my son, and it's one of them conversations where you sit down, and it's not that you're beating up your parents or nothing like that, but we all need to realize where we really are in this whole idea of timeline and dysfunction. Did you know that my parents passed dysfunction down to me? They did. I'm sure they tried, and they tried to do the best they did, could do and all that. Uh, but, but listen, there's a certain amount of dysfunction that was passed down to me. Now, I can choose to live in that dysfunction, be conquered by that dysfunction, be enslaved by dysfunction, or I can turn it over to God and quit living in it and live above it. It is possible. Listen, a lot of your marriage issues are because of the dysfunction you brought into the relationship. And you can either say, that's just the way I am. You better just get over it. Or you can say, you know, you're right. I need to crucify this in my flesh because this is just not right. But here's a real sad commentary. We have the potential to pass that on to our children. You know, one thing, conversation Jonathan I had one time was, you know something? Yeah, there was a certain amount of dysfunction that came to my life. But you know what I think my role is as, as someone who's trying to lead our family from this point on? is for me to cut out as much dysfunction as possible. Will I get it all? Probably not. I'm, I'm still a flawed human being. But I don't want to just make that excuse. I want to be better now. And so therefore, I'm counting on him to raise the next generation of our family with less dysfunction, not adding more dysfunction. Do you understand what I'm talking about? but we don't realize that sometimes. Y'all, there's a cost to just accepting dysfunction. And we gotta realize what are we doing as we continue in this? So sin produces a depleted life, a dysfunctional life, a doomed life. Ephesians 6, 23, it can't get any clearer than this. For the wages or the compensation of sin, living in sin is what? Death. Now, you may say, well, death will come right then. No, it didn't. Remember Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? Did they immediately die? No. But there was something that died in them that day. Does that mean that I'm going to die immediately? No, but it will tell you, the, the, the whole idea of living in sin, the doom part is a life that leads to death. It leads to death. It leads to destruction. For the wages of sin is death. Next, the compensation. Sin produces a depleted life, a dysfunctional life, a doomed life. Or the compensation of salvation produces an expressive life. Expressive. Look at verse 22. But now. How many of you like the phrase, but now in scripture? It's like, all right, there's something new. There's something on the right. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. This is your present and the end everlasting life. That's your future. How many of you say that's a pretty good present and future? But that's what he's talking about. We are called to live expressively in our new reality. I want you to write these verses down. This gives you a beautiful picture. I don't have time to read it. Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 17 is a beautiful uh, section of scripture that tells us what it looks like and what our present reality should be. Next, salvation produces not only an expressive life, but an eternal life. So look at Romans six, look at the last part of verse 23. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter five. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, 
He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, the Father, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Yeah, that's a beautiful verse. That's what he intends for us. So here's the application. Have you chosen the right option of living above sin? That's the right option. Live above sin, but yet live under grace. Is there evidence that a revolution has taken place in you? When people look at you and, and they see the person you used to be and the person you are now, do they see a difference? Do they see something that's alive in you and working in you? Or are you just the same? If you're the same, I'm just here to tell you, you need to check up on your salvation. Next, have you gone from being a slave of sin to a slave of righteousness? To someone who's not gonna get it right every time. We just won't, not in this flesh, but someone who grieves when they don't get it right. Does your life reflect that you're being compensated for a life defined by sin? Our life defined by salvation. I want to show you something here on the screen. Go ahead and go to that screen there. These uh, symbols here are intended to be arrows. Someone came up to me after the last, uh, last gathering and said, um, is this greater than or less than or whatever? I said, no, that's, that's an arrow, okay? So get that, all right? So anyway, before Christ, I was under sin. You, under, you get that? Did I convince you of that today? Okay, so before Christ, I was under sin. Now that after Christ, after I've come to Christ, you see where I am now? I'm under grace, but I'm what? Above sin. This describes my present reality. There's my past reality, but here's my present reality. So therefore, how I negotiate that tells me everything about who I am. So where does the transformation come from? The transformation comes from, from living above sin and living under grace. That means I'm fully becoming aware of what it means to live in sin and turning from that, the depleted life, the dysfunctional life, the doomed life, and I'm turning it around where I'm learning and, and being aware of what it now means to live under his grace. And that's what Paul's trying to get us to understand. And so really, when you look at it, when we live under grace, it means our identification is in him. That means the Holy Spirit is at work in us. How does he work in us? Through his word. That's the reason it's important that you know God's word. Read it every day. Soak it in. You need to know it because this is what's going to transform your life. But then we need to realize that there's still sin there. Well, how does sin show up when my flesh reaches out to it? I got to know how to crucify it. I got to know how to identify it. I got to know that this pleases God. I got to know that this may have an effect on the generations to come. I got to know that all that's there. And so I need to keep an eye on this. The transformation comes when I go from living under sin to living above sin and also living under grace and understanding what that's clearly all about and God's provision for me. I want to ask you to stand, if you will, and heads bowed and your eyes closed. I don't know where you are this morning, but I can tell you this. This life and what it brings is a battle. I don't know why the flesh remained intact after we came to Christ. I, I don't understand that. I, do, I, I can tell you this. It won't be a reality in the next world. It won't be a reality when this body's laid down. But I'm here to tell you, there's several people in this room. There is the person who's never come to Christ. 
And by the examples that we see in Scripture and what the Scripture calls it, you're living in sin. Your, your, your life is defined by your sin. Now, you may sit here today and say, well, I'm a good person. I'm someone, I don't give anybody any problems. I, I'm, I'm good. I look around. I say, I'm good. Can I tell you this? There is no way you truly want to be judged by your works when you face God. Can I just tell you that? You may say it may hold up fine. It won't because he knows more than what, what you think you, he, you've shown him. He knows your motives. He knows why you really do what you do. Sometimes we don't even understand that about us. But the thing you need to understand is this. If you've never come to Christ, if you've never embraced what he's offering, which is his grace, and you've never repented of your sins and turned your life to him and, and tried to get on this journey that I described here earlier, that Paul makes evident here, and that you have a past reality, but now you have a present reality. If you don't have a present reality that's founded in Christ, let me just tell you, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his provision. I'm inviting you to come this morning that we can take God's word and show you how that can become a reality in your life. But there's some of you who are Christians here and you're standing here right now and there were great things that was accomplished in your life when you came to Christ. But all of a sudden, just like what I said here earlier, the enemy is not satisfied with leaving you alone just because you identify with Christ. Now he turns up the battle. He wants the same influence in your life that he had before Christ. And he won't give up until you start crucifying things in your life and putting them to death. But maybe you're a Christian, you're standing here today. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what that one thing is or what that other thing is. And you know it needs to be crucified. Maybe you want to get around this altar. Have a pastor pray with you. Not specifically, but about something in your life. Maybe this is a church home God's called you to be a part of. To walk with other believers who are on the same path. We're attempting so much to live above sin and under, under grace. That's what we're trying to be here. That's what we're trying to demonstrate here. That's, that's what we want our testimony to be. We'd love to have you. Just do what God's calling you to do. Would you sing with us this morning? There'll be pastors here at the front. Just do what God's calling you to do.